All right, guys, so as I already said, my name is Drake. I'm pumped to be here. I'm the salt director at the University of Minnesota. Any Minnesotans in here tonight? Is that two, three, four? Wow, okay, we're still on one hand, but that's cool. Um, guys, just a little more introduction to myself. As I said, I have a wife. For about four years now, we've been uh, married. Here is a lovely picture of us. Um, so yeah, that's Paige. Love her to death. She's amazing. And for our four-year anniversary, uh, we got for each other a kid. So the next photo, um, that's Zeta Bell. Okay, she's very peaceful until she wakes up. And uh, so my wife and I haven't been sleeping a whole lot. Uh, but that's a little bit about myself. Now, I would love to meet all of you guys at one time. So here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, I want you guys to shout out your name so I can meet you all. Okay, one, two, three. Amazing. Nice to meet you all. Okay, now that we have that figured out, uh, I want to tell you a little bit more about my love for Cedar Falls, okay? Because it kind of goes back in my story. My brother went to Cedar Falls, went to you and I uh, before I was actually, before Salt Company was here. And there's a couple reasons why Cedar Falls has a close place in my heart. So when I came up to visit my brother, I actually got my first glimpse at college ministry. And like what a community of Christians in college leveraging their lives for Christ could actually look like. And that got me excited. Like my brother, was, my brother told me, hey, there's something like this going on at Iowa State called the Salt Company. And so I knew right when I was going to Iowa State, I was going to be a part of that. Okay, the second thing that uh, really captured my affections in Cedar Falls is I, I discovered how great a quesadilla could be at Pablo's. Um, and so my, hey, love that. Got my people here. Okay, so I... I have been to Pablo's an insane amount of times. And so, yes, th those are a couple reasons of why I love Cedar Falls. I also love Cedar Falls because I love seeing what's happening here. Okay, I'll take off the gopher cap and cheer on the Panthers for tonight. But it's amazing to see what God is doing here at the Salt Company. But what we're going to be asking tonight, the big question that we're going over tonight, is how can I make my one life matter? Okay, big question. Something we all wrestle with. Like, how can I make this one life that I have matter? How can I make it memorable? And so there's so many different pitches that you hear from the world. Like this is the life you should live if you want it to matter. This is the life that you should live if you want it to matter. And first we're going to see Jesus' pitch that he gives to people that want to follow him. So you can open up to Luke 9. We'll begin in there and then we'll work our way to Luke 10. And so we, we think about what is the pitch Jesus gives to follow him with your life. And in Luke 9, verse 23, it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Okay, guys, Leadership 101. Um, when you want to kind of pull people in on something, you want a compelling message, right? Like you want to have this vision, this compelling idea of this is why you should join me in on this. So telling people, come and die, um, doesn't seem like the most compelling vision to give people, right? Okay, so that's not at the top of our list of things we want to tell people to jump in. It doesn't seem like the greatest platform to begin a recruitment of people. But this is exactly what Jesus says. And so we have to ask the question, like, why is this what Jesus says? Why is this the pitch that he gives to us to come and lay down our lives and to die to ourselves? 
And we have to ask, okay, if this is the pitch, why should I spend my one life following him? Like I have one life. If I want to make that matter, why do I do it spending it running after Christ? And here's the reality. Some of you won't. But some of you will. And as we go through this text, we're going to find out why pursuing Christ is the only life that matters. So we're going to look at point one, a life that matters. Again, guys, this is something that we all want, okay? We all want to get to the end of our life and we want to say that was significant. Like I spent my years for a good cause. Like none of us in this room want to get to the end of our life and look back on all that we did and say, you know what? I say a solid five out of 10, right? Like I would say, yeah, it was like a somewhat good life, a little bland, a little bit boring. I did some cool things. You know, it was decent, right? None of us want that story to look back on. We all want to look back and say, wow, the way I lived my life was worth it. I spent my life in a significant way. And some of you here tonight wrestle with fear of what if I fail? Like, what if I don't live a life that matters? And we sometimes don't even want to think of the future. Because what if we aren't taking steps in that direction? Like, what if we don't live a significant life? And so what we're going to see is a conversation that Jesus has at the end of Luke 9, where a guy is wrestling with that same question. Like, how do I spend this one life? So let's look at 9 verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another compelling pitch by Jesus. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And I want to focus in on that second story, okay? Because when I first read that story, I was like, hey, Jesus, what's, like, what's the issue here? That's a pretty, pretty significant thing for someone to want to do. Like this guy just wants to go home quick, bury his dad, have an emotional moment with his family, and then he'll be back. Like he'll, he'll jump back in with your mission. He'll follow you with his life. Why is it an issue for him to go before he follows you. But if we jump into the story a little bit more, we see that there's actually more to this story. We see that this man doesn't want to actually go bury his father right now because his father's not actually dying. What he's saying is that I want to go spend the rest of my years with my father and then when he passes, I want to bury him and I want to be with him in that moment. And so what we see is that this guy actually has a life plan that he set out for himself. Like something that he's created in his mind, like this is what my life is going to be about. And Jesus confronts him, telling him to follow him. And he's like, no, I've I've got this other thing going. I've got this other plan that I want to live for. And when that comes to an end, then I will follow you. Like I want to live out this plan that I have and somewhere down the road, Jesus, then I will choose to follow you. This is a priority right now. Your kingdom might be in my life someday. Does this describe anyone in the room tonight? Like what's the ideal life that you've built up for yourself right now? 
And some of you are like, Drake, I have no idea. I haven't even thought about my future. And that, honestly, that was me in college, okay? But there was a couple things that I really wanted. Like for some of you, it might be right now you're focused. My, I, I just want to find a man or a woman that I can spend the rest of my life with, that we can share some memories. I want to find a job. I want to work hard and find a job that I can be comfortable with the rest of my life, that I can gain some money, I can get a nice house, and I can just continue to live out the rest of my life. Some of you, it might be, I want to travel the world, okay? And I get it. There's a lot of cool things out there, right? There's a lot of picturesque opportunities that we want to go out and see. And so some of you, it might be, man, that's, that is my calling. I want to go out and see the world. But what we do is that we actually create in our minds a plan that we lay out for ourselves and we work really hard to create that plan so that we know, man, am I, am what I'm doing right now, is that leading towards that plan? Like, am I taking steps in that direction? Am I taking steps towards a life that matters? So it brings us a sense of peace. Like, am I working towards that goal or not? What things are affecting or leading me away from that goal? And here's what Jesus is saying to you tonight. In order to follow me, you have to completely throw away that plan. Delete it entirely. Okay, guys, so I'm taking um, some online classes. In last semester, I had a major project that I had to wrap up. Okay, a 10, 12-page paper, um, waited to the last day to start working on this thing. I don't know if any of you have tried that, probably not. Uh, but I started working on this project, right? I'm typing this paper out. Like I'm spending hours, question after question, slowly working my way through this thing. I'm getting close to the finish line. Like I'm about to submit this. And all of our worst nightmares happen. Screen went black, paper gone. And I responded with the utmost peace and gentleness. No, I, I lost my mind, okay? I was like, what in the world am I supposed to do? Like, I worked so incredibly hard on this, and now it's just gone. Like, how am I supposed to get the motivation to do it again? Like, how am I supposed to type this paper out again? Here is what Jesus is saying to you tonight. You have worked incredibly hard to create this plan for your life, and he comes along and deletes it. He comes along and throws it out completely. And he says, in order for you to follow me, you have to realize that the kingdom of God has to be the priority of your life, not the one that you've created for yourself. Throw out your plans. Commit yourself to Christ. He's saying you want to live a life that matters. The life that you have planned for yourself won't actually accomplish the things that you hope it will. There's no amount of good things that you can do to ta that you could tackle in this life to validate your existence. And so, yeah, Jesus is asking you to follow him and to live a life that truly matters. And in order to do that, he's asking you to give up the life that you plan for yourself and follow him. Why is this, why is following Jesus the only life that can truly matter. Let's go into point two, an invitation. Let's look at Luke 10 verse one. So it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him 
two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let's stop there. In Matthew 9, 36, it gives another picture of this story when it says, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And so in this moment, Jesus is looking out on the world. He's seeing the incredible brokenness and his heart is filled with compassion for these people. His heart is absolutely broken as he looks out on this world. As he looks out, he sees individuals who are experiencing incredible stories of brokenness. He sees families who are completely fallen apart. He sees people who have been abandoned by others. He sees people who are being crippled with anxiety. He sees people running to anything to numb the pain. He sees people being treated with less value than they deserve. He sees people fighting as hard as they can to finally be enough. He sees people who are helpless because they feel that they will never be enough. He sees people wandering aimlessly and hoping to find anything that will help make their life better. He looks out in the world and he doesn't just see a bunch of issues. He sees image bearers who are lost and grieving and broken. And as he looks out on this world, as he sees the incredible brokenness that exists, his response is to say the harvest is plentiful. Now is an incredible time. Now is an incredible opportunity. Because we look out and see the world of desperate people and we realize that we have the message that they are desperate to hear. He says the harvest is plentiful. Soul Company, is that the way that you see your campus? When you look out and see the division that exists amongst people, when you look out at people chasing the, the party scene on the hill or you see people looking after that hookup culture or you see people who are radically against Christianity, is your first thought, what an incredible opportunity. Like guys, I remember when I was in college, this wasn't the knee-jerk reaction of my heart, right? The temptation was to be like, look at the way that they're living. They probably don't want to hear this message. Literally like me saying to a sick person, medicine probably isn't for you, right? And so I look out and as I reflect back to that moment, I'm literally going to this works-based righteousness that they're probably too far off to hear about the good news of Jesus. And in this moment, Christ wants us all to have the same perspective that he had. What an incredible opportunity to look out on the campus of you and I to see 10,000 students and say that the harvest is plentiful. You see individual stories of brokenness that need to hear the good news of Jesus, that though they're broken, Jesus came and lived the perfect life that they never can, that he died on the cross bearing their shame and guilt, and he died and he rose to victory, and now he gifts them an invitation to have life and have life abundantly with him. That for the rest of eternity, they could walk in joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction in Christ. Just as that gospel message came to you, he wants you to see, man, this harvest is plentiful to hear that message. And so I know a lot of times, even in my own time in Salt Company, you can begin to feel like, okay, there's a lot of people coming to Salt Company. The, fill, the seats start to get a little bit more filled up and you can lose that urgency. So I want you to imagine this room of people 
Okay, standing at the 50-yard line of the Unidome. And those seats are packed out with the rest of the students at UNI. Okay, so you're imagining just looking out on the sea of people and saying, the harvest is plentiful. Look at all these people with individual stories of brokenness and hurt that long to know the God that they were created to know. And you're amazed at the crowd looking in on you. But now I want you to imagine the town of Cedar Falls. The town of Cedar Falls would pack out the unit home two and a half times. A little bit larger stadium, a little bit more people looking in. The harvest is plentiful. Now I want you to imagine the state of Iowa. The state of Iowa would pack out the unit home 197 times. How about the United States? 20,500 times it would pack out the Unidome. What about the unreached people of the world? I'm not even talking about the unsaved. I'm not even talking about the entire world population. I'm talking about the people who don't have the opportunity to hear about the gospel. Like it's just not around them. They can't hear about the good news of Jesus. They would fill up the Unidome 125,000 times. And now we're imagining, okay, that's a pretty absurdly large stadium, right? To pack in that many people and you're back at the 50-yard line looking at all these people looking in on you. And here's the thing that we know from our world. The largest stage usually calls for the greatest stars to perform. Okay, so we think about the Super Bowl. We have Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. And for Stephen's sake, I won't talk any more about that game um, because I'm sure he's still recovering. But if you think about the NBA Finals, right? You got LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler competing in this game. So the largest stage brings about it the largest stars. And here we find the greatest stage that has ever been created. You guys standing at the 50-yard line and this massive crowd of people looking in on you. And we're not just talking about putting a ball in a hoop, right? We're talking about seeing dead people come to life. And Jesus looks at you and he says, I choose you. I want you, Saul Company, to be my representatives. I want you, Saul Company, to be the ones that go out and change the world. I want you to go and tell them about me. Guys, how wild is that? Like we think about the God of the universe that created everything. and He could have brought this message forward in any way. And he chose you to be the messengers that carry about this message to your campus. And there might be some of you who are new to Christ and you're like, okay, I'm pretty new to this. I don't know if he's talking about me. And Jesus would look at you and say, no, I want you to be the one to carry this message to your campus, to your city, to your nation, and to your world. And here's what we see. That yes, Jesus is asking you to throw out the life that you had, the pointless, stupid life that you once planned for yourself, okay? But he's also inviting you in on the greatest story that has ever been told. He is inviting you to be a part of the mission to save the world. And he wants you to be the ones that carry about that word to your campus. And instead of living a life for yourself where you try to stock up all these things that you want, you try to center your life on yourself, he's actually saying, no, follow me, empty your life for the sake of someone to know Jesus for all of eternity. I love how that video said, 
to live in such a way that you would live for heaven's sake. But as we look out on this incredible harvest of people, as we look out on all these people who don't yet know Jesus, we, we feel another incredible weight. Like, where do we even begin? Like, there's so many people who haven't heard the good news of Christ. What are we supposed to do to bring this message forward to the great need that's there? Let's go to point three, a mission. It's important for us to see what, what words follow this call, that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few, because we realize, okay, that's the call. That's the mission that we're being invited in on. The next words show us, okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to say? How do we need to take the first step to bring this message to the world? Let's look at Luke 10.2, the second half of that verse. It says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Once we see the incredible harvest that there is, once we see all the people that don't know Jesus, we, we feel incredibly small. Like how are we supposed to move forward? And that's the exact spot that you're supposed to be because that is where you go forward to God in dependence and desperation. God, raise up more people to join us. Raise up more labors to bring this mission forward to our campus. And so we go to God in desperate prayer. I love this quote from Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary that said, many Christians estimate difficulties in light of their own resources and thus attempt little and often fail in the little that they attempt. All of God's giants have been weak men or women who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence with them. And so we feel the weight of how we... We don't have enough to bring this message forward, but we realize that that draws us to prayer. God, raise up more people. Cause more people to join us in on this mission. And so we pray, and I love how it says we pray earnestly, like from the deepest depths of our soul, we cry out, God, would you do this? So guys, like I said, I, I started um, college my freshman year in 2010, which isn't, you know, that long ago. It's fine. Uh, so I started at the... University of Iowa State, um, and I had my first two years of college there. Guys, I experienced just a life change moment in college like a lot of you have. Okay, so I experienced community for the first time that didn't just want to hang out, but we actually want to pursue to look more like Jesus. Okay, we want to rid our life of our own desires, and we want to pursue to look more like Christ and to make his name famous. I, thought, I saw people that were incredibly authentic. Like, here's my junk. Here's my brokenness and invited me into that form of life, like some of you have experienced. And so I spent those two years investing in relationships. And then in 2012, I was asked by Drew Stevenson, the pastor at Salt City Church in Minneapolis, to transfer to the University of Iowa to be a part of what God was doing there. He was going to take over the salt company there, and I was going to uh, help out with the student leadership team. And guys, at first, there was so much excitement. Like, man, what is God going to do? Like, what am I going to be able to see? How is God going to work in the city of Iowa City? But it also brought about the most difficult semester in my life in college. Because I went from a salt company of around 800 to one about 80. I went from relationships that I had built up for two years 
Okay, guys, we worked through that awkward first connection group and I, I built some deep roots with these people. I experienced growth like I never have before on that campus. And I came to a new city where I just, that community wasn't as present for me. It wasn't, I didn't have that depthful community. And I remember asking so many times, like, God, was this the right choice? Like, did I make a mistake? Like, are you going to do what I thought you would do on this campus? And I remember just being filled with frustration at, of, with God at times. And there's one night in particular that I found myself on my knees in my dorm room, going to him in desperation, like, God, would you raise up more men to join me here in Iowa City to bring this message forward to the campus? Like, I joined in with the rest of Salt Company in Iowa City. God, raise up more people for your name. And that began to be my prayer for the rest of that semester. I began to join in finally with the rest of Salt Company. God, raise up more people for your name. In the beginning of that second semester, there was a guy by the name of Ryan Hamby that transferred from San Diego Christian to jump into the connection group because he saw what God was doing at the University of Iowa and through the Salt Company, he's like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a light to a dark campus. Ryan is now the director of Salt Company in Iowa City. There was a guy by the name of Dalton Storm, which is one of the best names I've ever heard. Uh, but he gave up his life running after his desires, running after the college scene, and turned to Christ and said, I want to give my life for him, and radically had a 180 flip in his life. He jumped into our connection group, and, and now he's the one leading worship at Veritas in Iowa City. There's a guy, another guy by the name of James Shelley, who was pretty noncommittal uh, when it comes to connection group, but actually jumped in and dove in and was a faithful participant in connection group. And now he's a man that's faithfully living out the mission of Christ with his family. And there's probably like five other people that joined in on that connection group that rallied around, and we began to pray together with the rest of Salt Company, God, do it again. Show your glory again. Raise up more people to come and be a part of this. Continue to grow this ministry here in Iowa City. And over the years, he continued to pull more and more people. And there's more and more people investing in this ministry. More and more people choosing to pray in this ministry. A couple years later, I was standing at Salt Company. In my last service on staff with Salt Company in Iowa City. I just accepted the job to move up to Minneapolis. And so I'm standing at Salt Company, looking out over a sea of 500 people, raising their hands in worship, praising King Jesus. And in that moment, I was brought back to my dorm room. I was brought back to those desperate prayers that I cried out. I was brought back to me earnestly going before God and jumping in with Salt Company and praying, God, would you raise up more laborers? And in that moment, I found myself saying it was worth it. I don't care what struggles came about. I don't care what pushback I received. I don't care what frustration I went through. It was worth it because I got a front row seat to see God do incredible things in Iowa City. And don't hear me say like this was something I'm attributing to me. No, this is a group of students in Iowa City who decided to pray who committed and said, we will pray for God to do an incredible work on this campus. And this is just my experience. Like when I started in college, there was one salt company with a new one that just kicked off. Now there are 18 salt companies with five more on the way because students decided to pray. 
because staff rallied around this vision that we knew God wanted to work on college campuses throughout this nation, and we all decided to pray. Guys, when I started college, Salt Company in Cedar Falls didn't even exist yet. And it's incredible to see what God is doing in this ministry because people before you decided to pray. Now, I want you to imagine what more is God going to do in the next 10 years in the Salt Company? Like what more campuses are going to be able to hear the good news of Jesus? We've got Timmy going to Cincinnati. Who's going to go with him to bring the good news to more students? How many more baptisms are we going to be able to celebrate? How many people who are unreached overseas are going to be able to hear the good news of Jesus because we realize that they're only going to hear if someone goes? Here's my question. What incredible stories are going to come out of this room because you all decided to pray? You all rallied around this text that calls us to pray as we see the great harvest that is before us to the God who is able to work in that harvest, the one that's Lord over that harvest. And so I love this, this quote by John Bunyan, also a great name. Um, it's very simple, it's, but it's, it's profound in the way I, I want to follow Jesus moving forward. He says, you can do more than pray, after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And as simple as that is, that was incredibly convicting to my heart because how many times I want to strain forward on my own efforts, how many times I want to be impressive to God and I want to go out and impress him with the things that I do for him, but this is calling us. No, we got to stop and pray. We got to be a people that first realize our desperation for him to do anything for us to see anything happen. So we need to be a people who pray. And once we've run to God in desperate prayer, we're sent out. So let's look at Luke 10, 3. It says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And so Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out as lambs. Okay, not the most tough creature. Sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So what we see is that there will be pushback. There will be opposition to this message. And so we shouldn't be surprised by it. We should expect it. And that's not because you're maybe not sharing the gospel right or wrong. It's literally saying that this message that we are going out with is completely counter to our culture. The culture is saying, climb the ladder to your own success. Jesus is saying, actually, let's climb down the ladder and die to ourselves. And so we need to realize that there's opposition to this, but we also need to realize that we are brought into a family. We are brought into the family of God that we get to go out on this mission together. And we need to realize that the same one that said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, also said that I am the good shepherd that lays my life down for my sheep and I will not let a sheep leave my fold. That's incredible confidence that we get to go out with and boldness that we get to have as we go out to share this message with this campus. Charles Spurgeon talked about this verse of us being sent out by God. It says, defenseless, harmless, in the midst of those who would devour you if I did not send you. It would be foolhardiness to go on your own account, but I send you. And he who sends his lambs among wolves will take care of them. Christ will take care of you. Christ is with you. 
And so what that means is that there might be that person that you are terrified to share the gospel with, but Christ is saying, I am with you to give you courage. There might be a person in your life or there might be a person in this room that says, man, I don't, I don't have the right words to say. I, don't, I didn't learn the persuasive arguments. I don't know all the answers to the questions. And Jesus is saying his simple gospel is a thing that has the power to change lives. And he is with you. You might see someone that you're like, man, they're going to be completely blind to this reality. Like there's no way that they want to hear this message. And you need to realize that Christ is with you and he's the one that opens the eyes of our hearts to see how beautiful he is. And if he saved you, he can save anybody. And you also need to realize that if you experience pushback, because you will, that the one who experienced the ultimate shame and humiliation on the cross died and rose from the grave and is the same one that said, take heart for I have overcome the world and that king is with you. And he knows what you're going through and he comforts you in that moment. You are able to move forward in boldness knowing that Christ is with you wherever you go. So I'll come to you. Who are the people in your life that need to hear this message? As God is Lord of the harvest, we realize he has placed you in a specific spot. He's placed people around you for a specific reason. Who needs to hear this? Coworkers, roommates, classmates. For some of you, the question might be, who, where do you need to go to further this message? Maybe it's another campus, another church plant that needs to have more people rallied around to go out. Like some, somebody might be praying for labors to be sent out with them and you might be the answer to that prayer. Some of you might be feeling like God is sending you to the unreached people overseas to hear this message that they would never hear unless somebody went. So I'll come to you. It will be, there will be times of great difficulty for us taking steps, bold steps for Christ. But what we need to realize is that any step for Christ will always be worth it. Whether we see fruit in this life or not, here you find the only way to spend your life that truly matters. Here you find the only life that has an eternal impact that carries on far beyond this life. My prayer for my life is that I would get to the end of my life, I would look back and I would see trails through the harvest fields. That I would look back and see individual stories who got to hear about their Savior that loved them so much that he came to die for them on the cross that they might know him. That I would look back and see people that I get to celebrate and party with for the rest of eternity because they got to hear the good news of Christ come off my lips. I want to look back and see that I wrung out my life completely for the sake of the cross. That I lived a life that mattered. That I lived for something that lasts for eternity. That it was all completely worth it. Saul Company, will you join me in this? Let's pray. Father, we realize that the only way that we are able to be sent out is we first see that you saw the brokenness of this world and you sent your son out to come to this world, to live the life that we couldn't live 
to die the death that we deserve to die, that we might be brought into your family. God, how insane is it that we, that me, such a broken person, can be invited into the greatest story that will ever be told, that you chose to use us, ordinary, broken people, to carry your mission forward, that we even get to go before you and pray that right now we get to come before you as the almighty God that created everything that's sovereign over all, and we get to pray. And so God, we pray that what you've done in this room, you would do it again. You would amaze us time and time again of the new people that come into this room because your gospel spread as a result of this room deciding to pray. Jesus, we need you. We pray that we would spend our lives for your sake. God, convict us of any way that we're living for ourselves right now. And I pray that we'd put that to death. And if there's someone in here that hasn't given their life to you, I pray that they would see that they don't need to clean up their act, but it's a, a free invitation to come into your presence. That Jesus did it all. They just have to freely come before you now. God, I pray that we would worship you tonight and we would worship you with our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.